The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Amen. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus for those that are, are a part of this family and call this place home. The peace of Christ be upon you. For those of you, for those of you visiting today, you're most welcome. Uh, visitors are a blessing. And so may the peace of Christ rest on you as you bring Christ's peace and blessing to us. We're in a sermon series, When You Pray, Praying Your Way Into God's World. And when the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus says, when you pray, say these things. In other words, prayer is not about praying, uh, praying the world the way we want it, but prayer is us praying our way into the way God imagines the world, and particularly the way God imagines the world in Jesus Christ. Last week, we asked, or we gave opportunity for those that wanted to fill out prayer requests and prayer cards, and we got many responses, and you blessed us and uh, the, the staff here at the Springs and many others uh, to pray for you, to pray with you. Before, uh, we, before uh, worship begins, in the green room, those that are participating in worship, we go around and share prayer requests. And not only do we pray for one another, we pray for you in the congregation. We pray, uh, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we wanna continue today with this prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. God, that we may pray our way into God's world. The world imagined in Jesus. If you guys would, stand with me and let's begin by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Kim and I were expecting our teammates to come by the house. We got a call that our recently added teammates in Uganda who are living with our, uh, our other teammates that were about half mile down the road or a quarter mile down the road, they needed to wash and dry some clothes and the teammates they were staying, our teammates they were staying with at the time, they just, they, they had a, they were doing their own laundry and so they said, hey, can we come over and can we do laundry? So Kim said, sure. And it was about eight o'clock at night and so um, we told at, in Uganda we have we had people that we, we hire in the evening just to kind of watch. It was customary to do this, to have people watch kind of over the compound for thieves and, and other people that wanted to break in. And so we told our night watchmen that our teammates were coming over and they'll be driving a white sedan. So he was expecting them. And sure enough, we hear someone pull up to the front, to the gate, and we see our night watchmen go out and open the gate and it was a white sedan. 
And so Kim went out onto the front porch expecting to greet uh, Jody King, who was our new teammate at the time, and help her in with the laundry. But what she saw as she drove out, as she ran out on the porch, the car drove up next to the front porch, and we saw our nightman watchman running back to the car. And what Kim noticed was it was not Jody in the car. She couldn't tell who it was, but it was not Jody. There were four African men sitting in the car. And she thought that maybe someone had come in from the village, someone that we knew, and someone was sick, and they'd come to see us. And... But our night watchman was on the, the driver's side, which was opposite of where Kim was standing, and his head was in the window as he was talking to these gentlemen. And Kim asked, said, well, who is it? And she asked our night watchman again, Muhammad, who is it? Muhammad, who is it? She became a bit anxious then. Muhammad lifted his head up and looked at Kim and said, I don't know. And about that time, out of the opposite side and the back uh, uh, behind the driver's seat, the back door opened and a man in military fatigues pulls out an assault rifle and points it right at Kim. Now, I'm going to confess, I'm probably just doing this. I don't know what else to do. But Kim screams and runs in. Now, hindsight's 2020. It worked out, right? I mean, theoretically, I guess she could have gotten shot. I guess I could have held my hands up and gotten shot. But she just reacted. And she ran inside. All of a sudden, I hear this screaming. And she's running inside and saying, lock the doors. We're being robbed. Lock the doors. And luckily, in our house, we just have a front door and we had a back door. So she went in, shut the, the curtains, locked the front door. I went to the back door, actually we had two back doors, and I locked the two back doors. She runs into this office, this room that we had an office, and gets on the phone and calls our teammates. And then we hide, we get inside uh, the hallway where there's no windows, but our children are asleep. At this time I think it's at least Eli, for sure, and maybe Noah. We didn't wake them up, but they were sleeping and we felt like they were safe. But while we're hiding, safe enough at least not to bring them out of their rooms, but while we're hiding in the hallway, I'm yelling through uh, Eli's room, which is closest to where the front door is, because there's bars on the windows, but it's open air. And I'm yelling out in Lusoga, you better, we've called the police, you better run. And then I hear them go to the back door, and they're trying to get in the back door, and I'm standing against a wall, and around the corner is the back door, and I hear him at the back door trying to break in, and I yell in Lusoga, the police are coming, you better run. And then in English, I, he responds, do you want me to shoot you? And I said, what? I literally said out loud, what? And then very calmly he says, do you want me to shoot you? <laughs> at which that point, kind of the fear went away because I was like, if you have to ask twice, you're probably not shooting. <laughs> and then I just changed to English and I said, you better run, the police are on the way. Well, pretty soon after that, we hear my teammate's car coming down the road and he's honking the horn. The reason I know it's my teammate is because he has this very distinct horn. It wasn't one he chose but it's one that came with the car and it sounds almost like the siren of, um, of the police in Europe. 
like this doo 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 coming down there. We can hear it coming down the road. So we peek out and we see my teammates Spencer and Bobby hop out of the car, wheel unlock the front door, and I run out and let them in. And they come running in and they run right past me into the house. And I run over and I start and I start grabbing a golf club out of the bag and I turn around and Bobby's standing in the door and I say, let's go. And he's like, Ben, what are you doing? He goes, they have guns. <laughs> and I looked at my golf club and I said, I don't know. And I put the golf club back in and we ran back in the house and we locked the door until my other teammate, Mark, had come. He had to go pick up the police. That's a whole different story in Uganda. <laughs> so when I said we called the police, we called our teammates. That's who we called. We were held captive in our own home. And the primary image, if last week the primary, one of the most vivid images of God is of a running father, one of the most vivid images for God's people is that of God the Deliverer. It's central to God's people understanding of who God is. Let my people go, Moses says to Pharaoh. And then God leading his people out of bondage, the parting of water, the provision in the desert, the hope for a future. In the prayer, the part of Jesus' prayer when disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Towards the end of the prayer, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. We used to pray this prayer with our kids, and we still do, but when Bella was little, it was amazing how she could recite this prayer, but she would get to this part and she would say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from eagle. Which was amazing to me that the tongue twister, lead us not into temptation, she could get out clearly, but it wasn't evil, it was eagle. And when we get to this idea about leading us, do not lead us into temptation, this word temptation, it could be tempting or it could be testing. Do not lead us into a time of testing. And there are, I admit, at times when we read in Scripture about God testing his people. For example, in James chapter 1, beginning of verse 2, it says, says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, let perseverance finish its works that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their, in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, 
It blo- its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away while they go about their business. But blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let's keep this up for a minute. That James talks about having times of what he calls testing or trials. And we see this in scripture as well. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? That God asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son. And then we we read this story in the book of Job about God coming to the accuser and saying to the accuser, have you considered my servant Job? And there seems to be some kind of, right, behind the scenes something going on there. Now I have no doubt that 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 there are times of trial and that, that, this, that this does happen. But it's hard to discern when this is happening or to give credit or to put blame on God about any kind of trial that comes upon us. Because James goes on to say this, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That James clearly says no one should say God is tempting me. For God is neither tempted, nor does he tempt anybody with evil. But maybe a better way to think about do not lead us into temptation is maybe to think about it as God, don't lead us into a time of trial. Pope Francis puts it this way. In an interview, he's talking about this phrase and how it's been rendered for a long time, do not lead us into temptation. And he says this, it's not God who is leading me into temptation to see then how I fall, as if God is just tempting me to see, am I going to fall? No, a father doesn't do this. A father helps you to get up right away. The one who is leading you into temptation, he says, is Satan. That is Satan's mission. The prayer that we say means, when Satan leads me into temptation, please God, give me your hand. Give me your hand. And then he says in the interview, look at this painting. And I don't know what painting's up on the wall, but maybe it's some painting like this. Give me your hand. Look at this painting, he says. It's something like that, like what happened to Peter. The hand. And Peter is saying, I'm drowning. In other words, it's not lead us into a time where we're being tempted necessarily, but it's God, don't protect us from the time of trial. This may be a phrase to say, God, protect us. 
when temptation comes our way. Protect us when trial comes. But as we know, trials do come our way. Even though we might say, God protect us, and we trust God to do that, trials do come our way. They haunt us, and they diminish our well-being. And so Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think we've inherited a couple of traditions. The first is that we've inherited a view of of humanity that is depraved. What is true, that humans are very capable of sin. They're capable of all kinds of evil. We know that to be true. And we know that to be true in our own lives about our own sin. The evil we experience is not just of our own making. We are not just depraved, but we are vulnerable. In fact, we might not even be primarily depraved. Our primary position as a human being may be not depraved, but vulnerable and susceptible to evil, to all kinds of evil. So in Matthew, this is how Jesus views people. Later in Matthew 9, verse 35 and 36, it says that Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now earlier he encounters the Pharisees and the Pharisees are most likely, they are the ones that are harassing. Probably the Roman Empire is harassing these sheep. But when Jesus looks at people in general, at least in the Gospel of Matthew, he doesn't see it a bunch of people that are just depraved. He says he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But for us, we don't often think of ourselves that way. Here's the other thing we've inherited. We've inherited a fairly optimistic view of the world. That maybe evil is just an obstacle to progress and that humanity will naturally figure out and overcome through determination and hard work if we just stop doing evil. If we just stop doing evil. If we just stop sinning. And when we view that way, there's a difference, and I've learned this through my own experiences, between powerful people, those that have some privilege, and poor, those that don't. Powerful people feel in control. And most of us, I'd put generally culturally in that category. We feel like we're in control. Or at least we're taught that we are because of our positions, our wealth, our power. We're tempted to think that we're in control of our circumstances and therefore others are in control of their circumstances. 
Now, we have agency. We contribute to our own circumstances. But the poor, however, they know their lives are not determined by just their own will. Evil is not just the sin that you do. Evil is a power. It's something, it's not something we just trip over every now and then. It's not a detour on the way to a goal. Evil is a dynamic thing. It's a direction that is taken in history. It is a design for our lives. Evil is a power. Don't underestimate it. Don't treat it like an obstacle. It's a power. I was teaching a class in African Christian College. As you could tell, many of these things I learned from brothers and sisters on a different continent. And we were discussing some pastoral things about, uh, um, about what it means to talk about God. We were talking about this word theology, which literally means words about God. And in this one book that we read, we came across this classic definition of theology, at least classic in the sense of Western culture, that theology is faith seeking understanding. That we begin with faith and we seek to understand from there on out. And we we're having this conversation and there was, the, there was a, a young man, very sharp, his name was Vuyo. Vuyo was from Iswatini, formerly Swaziland. And Vuyo says, that's interesting. I want to talk more about this idea of theology as faith seeking understanding. I think I understand what the author is trying to say there. But I would say in Africa, that's not what theology is. So really, what would you say it is, Vuyo? And I was very excited that he was thinking about these things. And he says, I would say in Africa... A definition of theology talking about God is not faith-seeking understanding. A definition of theology in Africa is this, faith-seeking survival. My eyes got real big, and I immediately started writing in my notebook. I'd never thought about that. I find that to be true for most people on the continent of Africa. They're trying to survive. Not just all the things they do, but all the powers that are out there that are working against them. We are sinful people. It's true. But I wonder if what we are is not primarily wicked, but that we are just primarily weak. The flesh, Paul says, is weak. We're just weak in the truest sense. Susceptible to death and the powers that seek to destroy our lives. And so we need to be delivered from all kinds of things we need to be delivered from sickness. 
We need to be delivered from death. Not only our own death, but all the death we've experienced and all the death that we experienced in the loss of loved ones and friends and family members that haunts us. You talk to anyone that's lost a child. They may seem particularly devastated during the time of that loss. But 40 years later, even though there's been time that has passed, they are haunted by that. It's not only that we need forgiveness of our debts, as the prayer says, forgiveness of our sins. But we need to be delivered from all the sin that's happening to us. So in the book of Genesis, the famous story of the fall that we call it in Genesis 3. It says, and Paul later reflects in this in 2 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy, he says, Adam was a transgressor and that all, that death has come into the world, sin has come into the world through Adam and he was the transgressor. But it says this about Eve. So while Adam was uh, both um, uh, the perp- he was the perpetrator. Adam's not the only part of the story there because it says Eve, Eve, while she did transgress, here's what Paul says and the text says is that Eve was deceived. Now, that's usually been taken to say something negative about a woman. But what I take it to be saying is, and what Paul is taking to say is that, no, there's, there's not only, humanity's not only transgressor, it's also a victim at the same time. She was lied to. Have you ever been lied to? So when you get that call, that first time you've ever been scammed by somebody, anybody ever been scammed? Whether it be a big business deal or something small, and the next time someone randomly calls you, or maybe even someone that you know, what do you do? Think about when you're lied to. Think about the first time, and maybe you can't even remember this, but when you were lied to. Doesn't the realization of being lied to, doesn't that affect your relationships in the future? That when, I'm, when you lie to me, then it automatically, the next person I encounter, even if it's someone I'm close to, there has been some trust violated. And I walk into every relationship going, can I trust them? Now you may say, well, you're a wise person not to trust everybody. And that's what we teach our children. But do you see how that damages relationships even that have yet to be damaged? Think about infidelity. I say this to college students. So if you've had a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a significant relationship, right, and it goes badly and you're hurt and you're wounded, maybe there's infidelity. The next time you get into a relationship, guess what comes with you?
Many of you that are married know this because you not only get the person that's standing in front of you, you get their history as well and how their relationships had worked, maybe with their parents, maybe with another significant other. We not only need to be delivered from all the sin we do, we also need to be delivered from all the sin done to us. When people speak evil against you, it makes you wonder who else is saying these things. When people hurt us, we are wounded, and it's impossible to live if those wounds, as if those wounds don't exist. It's really difficult. We've also inherited this, and we're tempted towards this. We also have inherited a pessimistic worldview that says, well, the world is just evil. That's just the way it is. But for Jesus, Jesus does not believe that evil is just a small, some small obstacle to overcome. Jesus and God take evil very seriously. And they just don't believe that you need to be forgiven and healed of all the sin you do. You need to be delivered from all the sin and evil done to you. Jesus does not believe that this is just the way it is or that this is just the way it will always be. Because the primary image of God for God's people is a deliverer. Deliver us from evil. So in a way, God is the one, at the risk of cheapening this, God is the one driving down the road, blaring out the horn. That when we call God deliver us from evil, we wait for the horn, the sound of that horn coming down the road, expecting deliverance. But I gotta say this, not all of my stories, or even most of them, have ended in the kind of deliverance that my teammates, Bobby and Spencer, gave to me. I have had some deliverance in my life. And not all your stories in that way either. Some of you have experienced and can tell stories about the way God has delivered you. Not only from your own evil, but from all the evil done to you or all or a trial that has come your way. But many of us, in fact, all of us, my guess is, is that there are trials and evil that have oppressed and imposed their will on us and there has not been deliverance just yet. So this is why we pray. But deliver us from evil. And with faithfulness and assurance, we wait. We wait for God to come driving down that road. We wait to hear the horn of his deliverance. Because here's the promise. One day, God is
he's going to deliver us from all evil. If you need deliverance today, if you need deliverance from the bondage of sin, that's got you held up in a house, locked in, let us know. We'd love to pray for you. And if you are going through a trial, if you are experiencing evil that is not of your own making, which we all do, and sometimes more intensely than others, if you are experiencing that kind of evil that is haunting and diminishes your well-being, let us pray with you. Deliver us from evil. For when we join our voice with the voice of Jesus, we catch a glimpse of the world as it really is. Vulnerable, hurt, yet poised on the brink of deliverance.